Hi, I'm Tasha Weeks. And I'm Kelly Guyton. Welcome to Culturally Yours Mental Health. We will discuss all things mental health for people of color. Let's create our own narratives for our own experiences that affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Be informed. Be supported. Be empowered. mental health. Today on episode three, we are going to talk about Black mental health myths and stigmas. Mm-hmm. Lots of, lots of those to, to discuss. Man, listen, because the, the <laughs> list goes on and on and on. And, you know, if you've been listening from the beginning, we discussed a little bit of the history and how some of these mental health myths and stigmas started. So we're going to elaborate on that and dive a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Now, even though there's a lot of myths and stigmas out there, we really try to keep it as precise as we can. So there's going to be things that we're going to continue to talk about throughout the the, um, the series. But we really want to highlight some of the bigger ones today. Right. So um, I want to start with just white supremacy, right? Just throw it out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, white, so white supremacy is the belief that the white race is inherently superior to other races and that white people should have control over people, other people and other races. The social, economic and political systems that completely enable white people to maintain power over other people and other races is what white supremacy is. So part of that system, white supremacy, came about the Jim Crow laws, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, I feel like we've all heard about Jim Crow laws, but there's also like rules and etiquette that black people had to follow during the Jim Crow time. Mm-hmm, because I know for me, when I learned about Jim Crow, that wasn't one of the first things that I actually was taught about, you know. So that etiquette piece is important because it, it 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 was it was really surprising, like just just learning more about that, which we're going to share with y'all right now. Yes, yes, yes. So Jim Crow laws actually took place um, late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries, mm-hmm. and it ended late 1960s so that that wasn't too long ago so some of these etiquette laws that jim crow created was um blacks were not allowed to show public affection toward one another in public especially kissing because it offended white people a black male could not offer his hand to shake hands with another white male because Mm -hmm. they were socially equal obviously a black male could not offer his hand or any other part of his body to a white woman because he risked being accused of rape. You know what happened to Eddie Till. Right. Blacks and whites were not supposed to eat together. If they did, for whatever strange reason, the whites were being served first and then some sort of like um, partition or divider was put in place between them to have at least some bit of separation. Under no circumstances would a black male was he he was not able to offer to light a cigarette of a white female because that 
implied they were intimate in some way. So like we're just like just just like even though we're listing out some of these Jim Crow laws and etiquettes, just recalling what we defined or what was defined as white supremacy. So all of these different etiquettes is again putting, you know, individual those who identify as white superior. All these little things, okay, and trying to let people of color know that they are not equal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I really want to point out. Um, that also when being introduced to white people, which to me is just is really connected to how we interact when we're in a professional settings. Mm-hmm. Um, so when being introduced to whites, never it's you have to introduce the white person first and then the black person. So for example, it's like Mr. Peters, the white person. Mm-hmm. This is Charlie, the black person. And then, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. if you notice, we said Mr. Peters for the white man, but just the first name basis for the black person. So that was on purpose too. Which is another reason why, like when we introduce ourselves, you know, wherever we go, just get into the habit of owning our titles, whatever we work for. I'm Dr. Such and Such, or I'm Mr. Such and Such, you know, showing that self-respect and that equality. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. where we go and not just inintent- un- unintentionally saying, oh, yeah, this is Mr. Peters and then whomever. You can introduce yourself first and you can do it with a level of self-respect, you know? Mm-hmm. So do that. Right. So the Blacks had to use the courtesy titles when referring to whites and were not allowed to call them by their first names. Mm-hmm. Um. A couple more that I want to mention. If a black person rode in a car driven by a white person, the black person had to sit in the back seat or the back of the truck. They couldn't even get a seat. Mm-mm. And then when driving, which which is mind-boggling to me, when driving in your car, the white person always had the right-of-way at all intersections. So you had when driving, you have to pay attention to see if this driver is white or black. To be like, I right, you go ahead, you go first, because you're white. Instead of trying to pay attention to the safety and just regular driving, you got to once again focus on the differential and race, and again putting someone else of who is supposedly um, imposing mm-hmm. their superiority over you mm-hmm. as driving. This is a this is a mundane activity to just drive, and even in that action, you're having right. to think about your race. But these types of systemic um, laws that were created to dehumanize um, and to make us feel inferior in all aspects of our lives um, is a huge reason as to why we have a lot of these myths and stigmas. Right. So when you consider how these uh, stigmas develops and connect to today's stigmas, um, and how it becomes a norm to practice superiority over another being, a race, a culture. You know, this can also include a person's psyche, you know, um, and how it's perceived publicly. So when a society creates the concept of a dominant race, naturally there will be an inferior one. Okay. So you're basically putting this, you know, this hierarchy in place. Uh, so to do this, um, any means will be used to maintain the dominance including being an inferior one. 
okay, mm-hmm. to maintain that dominance. Okay, so public stigma, you know, there's, there's different types of stigmas that 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 we're going to address here. Okay, because again, the stuff can just slide on through in our day to day, and we don't even notice it. Don't even notice. Don't even notice because this is part of that that design, <laughs> you know, that like we just said, this has been going back for many generations and it's just, it starts to change its faces over the years. So we really want to make sure you guys notice right. what this looks like today. You're able to okay. really see it. So when it comes to public stigma, which is described as an overarching sentiment in today's society, how, um, how about people with a certain trait, okay? So society, um, societal attitudes towards these traits can show up in the media um, and as really can be subtle in encouraging negative perceptions or presenting stereotypes as facts. So for example, if you if you tell a friend that you have a dissociative disorder, okay? And they react by saying like, whoa, well, that's kind of scary. Like what if one of your personalities try to kill someone? Would you even know about it? So that kind of inaccuracy and like, you know, or, in, or ignorance. Okay. And when I say ignorance, I always want to put this disclaimer when it comes to ignorance. Ignorance is just mm-hmm. being you just don't know. Okay. It's not about being stupid or, or shaming. It's just, you just don't know. So when you, when you, when you speak on that ignorance, it can still be hurtful and it can cause that, that it can contribute to an inaccurate understanding right. about mm-hmm. mental health conditions. Okay. And it can come from multiple media portrayals of people with a mental health condition um, who engage in acts of violence. Okay, we all watch the news, yeah, or hear about it. Okay, about someone who gets gunned down or gets wrongfully incarcerated somewhere when really they don't need to be tucked away in a corner when they really just need mental health services. Mm-hmm. Or someone's afraid that oh my brother is having episodes in the streets. I'm afraid he's going to get shot because that's what we're seeing. You know what? It also, Kelly, it can also be the opposite where someone is very violent and they are, you know, doing some atrocity within their community and they blame mental health for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. On the flip side, you mm-hmm. know, and again, both both need the same response. Of course, you know, they need the protection to be from, from themselves and other people. But that's, again, that's moving in with compassion and understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, but if we just react off of stigmas, that can cause more harm. Okay. Um, you know, just bringing it back to like how this is, has been de- developed through the years, you know, because um, there was, you know, it was a time where it was commonly thought that even enslaved people were not even sophisticated enough to develop things like depression, anxiety, or any other mental health right. disorders. Right. We, we touched on that last episode. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about it, if you might have missed out. Yeah, but you know, you can always go back and listen to it and see how it's all connecting because it is, it's, it's all connected, you know. So, from like the historical, you know, misconceptions, you know, we learn to ignore mental illnesses and call it other other names like stress or just being tired. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, and research talks about that and so it talks a lot about this. So, these little nuances and the descriptions for depression, other mental, um, mental illnesses, you know, adopted in the black community and gets passed on from generation to generation, it can reinforce the misunderstandings, you know, and and underestimating the effects and the impacts of these mental health conditions. For example, you know how we all say, oh, that's just uncle such and -and so-and-so, we know how he is, and we just kind of dismiss it and, you know, think it's just normal. 
But when you look at it through the generation, there's real pain, there's real trauma. Yeah, it's the comments like, oh, you know, we all got that one drunk uncle, or you know, we all got we all got that one cousin that's too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really dismissive to what they're actually going through. Right. You know, when really it's depression or really it's a trauma they can't talk about. And so they just get lost in it. Okay. And so it gets dismissed, you know, um, but, and then of course, considering the other types of stigma that we end up putting upon ourselves. Like, so if if our family Mm -hmm. is kind of labeling these things and we start to believe it. Okay. Or even the public. So we have like, you know, self stigmas, coming from accepting what the public says about yeah. these things, you know, public stigma. stigma. Um, so when you start to consider your own traits or your own symptoms, you start to become shameful about it and thinking that you're deserving of those criticism and even believe you've earned the negative judgments because of it. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty awful, you know, because that's not true. Right. And one thing that people know how to do really well is to be very self-critical and very hard. We're very hard on ourselves. Yeah, we are our own worst critics. And that's just regularly, regularly without, you know, the shaming from family and friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when you compile that with friends and family, that, that becomes even more impactful. So for example, if you're considering yourself um, weak for having um, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, especially uh, when people in your life are suggesting you're overreacting to the trauma you've experienced, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to start minimizing your own experience and your own feelings. And in yeah. that you can end up, you know, shaming yourself and dismissing yourself. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed um, with the work that we do is when people come into my office, they are already like in a defense mode, you know, because they're hesitant to be there uh, because they already have that in- internalized shame and embarrassment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like needing mental health services, right? And so the first thing they say is, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. Exactly. I you get the like, same thing. Yeah, and I'm just looking at them like, but why would I think that? You know, and then once they disclose what, what's happening in their lives and how they're feeling and their thoughts, um, my first thing to do is to normalize, right? Right, right. I normalize because they think they're crazy. They're being told they might be crazy. And, and, no, and no one's probably even told them this in the first place. Um, but they're just internalizing that because of the, the judgment and the shame and the embarrassment. Um, so they, they think other people think they might be crazy, including me, the therapist. Right. right. Um, so I, I've normalized being very careful not to minimize because there's Mm. definitely a difference. I want to normalize what they're going through because a lot of times we're going through the same things together. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not alone, you know, in in these these thoughts and feelings. And that that isolation can, that's where that shame can perpetuate. You know, and it's 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 good. It's reassuring. It's part, again, it's part of that normalization and validation that what a person is experiencing that traumatic experience, um, they're not alone in going through that. Okay, and I and I find that even in the process of normalizing it, just you know, after that validation can provide some relief, but it, it also can you can provide hope when you know that there's a way of going, be able to heal from it, that yeah. you don't have to be stuck. Yeah. You know, yeah. but even even in those things, and like you were just saying, Tasha, about 
you know, everyone else saying that they're crazy. That's again, that's part of that public stigma that mm -hmm. ends up getting internalized, you know? Um, and, and, it, and I can't help but think about, you know, as you were sharing this, I started thinking about men, <laughs> you know, don't worry ladies, I got you too. But you know, one of, the, one of my other thoughts is, 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 is our men, you know, when the power is being assigned to men by saying that they're not expected to have emotions and that they're supposed to be physically strong and supposed to be providers and protectors. And I'm not saying those, you know, you know, my brothers who, who value that, that you cannot be that, but that is just not all you are. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, from our previous episodes talking about that human experience, okay, having a, a part of that human experience is having an array of emotions and how you express them and how you continue to show up um, in that human experience through your cultural lens. You know, I just really want to point that out, you know, because culturally there is a stigma um, um, surrounding mental illness, you know, and yeah. depression that makes it difficult for many people to admit that they need help. Like you were just talking about Tosh, mm -hmm. you know, which is why it's, it's a wonderful thing when you get to that place of saying, you know what, I either something's not right or I've known something's not right. And I want to finally do something about it. Okay. That, yeah. that, that's not an easy step for everyone to get through. If, you know, if you're surrounded by individuals who are um, using these stigmas um, and, and are hurting you, you know, um, so even though the these stigmas about men um, is is old school, you know, it's it's really from the past. It's an attitude that's that develops by previous generations who did not have the medical understanding of mental illness of what we do now. And I think that's really powerful. I can think of my grandmother making certain comments about back then about how they handled things, and in my mind, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was depression. And you said yeah. what? And you did <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, my, my 90 year old grandma, she, she has some awareness now and she'll say, it's like, you know, we just didn't know back then, but now, now I know. And then you can see mm -hmm. the, the look of remorse so on so her face. Strange. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just different times. So even though, despite that, you know, that, that very archaic, um, you know, nature of, of the stigma, it is one that we, we have a hard time unlearning. And let yeah. it go off. Okay. Yeah. So even when we're challenged by the more recent discoveries and facts about mental illness, we still have to unlearn these these really harmful concepts. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh I like that I love that we're touching on um men because there aren't enough men in therapy. Mm -hmm. um, there are more I see more women than I see men. And then when I do finally get um a black male in my office, I'm happy to see them because so I know happy. I know it took so much for them to get to that point, especially the black older males too. Mm -hmm. It took mm -hmm. so much to, for them to get to that point to say, I don't want to be here, but I know I need to be. I know I should be. Mm-hmm. And 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 I every time I do see you know like you just said touched even the older black males you know coming from a different generation, inside I'm doing backflips. <laughs> I am doing backflips. I'm like yes, welcome. I am here for you. I'm here for the journey, and I will accompany you on this journey as far as I can take you. You know, like I like I know you know and. And, you know, and then to see the difference in that generation where it's 
it's challenging for the older generation to get to that point. And then it's just so normal to be at that point for the younger generation. You can just really see the difference in the approach mm-hmm. to mental health amongst our Black men across the generations. And all in all, the commonalities that they show up. Yeah. They show mm-hmm. up and they're able to talk about their human experience as a Black male mm-hmm. in their communities and what they've had mm-hmm. to go through and how they've been able to endure or how they're willing to endure and to grow and still find a better version or a healed version of themselves. It's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, and I also, you know, there's a few other things I wanna to touch on when it comes to our black men. So even though we know that depression is linked to like the chemical changes in the brain and can cause these physical changes in the body, you know, like diabetes and other conditions, culturally, we still don't see it in the same light. Right. Uh, Cause you know, there's still some things that, you know, can't be, um, shaken, you know, and, and this belief that mental illness is not a real disease is just as mentally shortcoming um, and cannot, you know, shake the stigma around or, or even the fear for asking for help. So even toxic masculinity can be described as a set of traits and stereotypically um, um, uh, in an uh, expected of men. So toxic mas- masculinity is caused by certain cultural pressures for men to behave a certain way from a very young age. And mm-hmm. men are taught to be strong, to be quiet, resilient, and tough. And boys are taught to be uh, manly. Okay, y'all can't see me because I talk with my hands a lot, but I'm doing that, I'm doing them air quotes like manly. Okay, you know it means that they they are supposed to be aggressive and powerful, and and they never show weakness. You know, that's, that's, yeah. do you, that's, down, that's even, so even suffocating. Even <laughs> the toys that they're allowed to play with. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to say like my mom, I have an older brother and she, she, she bought the typical boy girl, um, boys for us. But like me and my older brother always came together and played you know, with our toys together. So Batman was definitely invited to the Barbie pool party, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so even though our, our, our parents tried to, you know, teach us what it should look like to be a masculine boy and a feminine mm-hmm. female as children, we ain't trying to hear all of that. Like, I want to play with Batman too. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Why I didn't get the Batmobile for Christmas? I, you know, I had the same, a similar experience, you know, and I recall those very specific moments, you know, just as a female, like, why do I keep getting the, the, I remember saying to myself, like, why do my dolls keep peeing? I didn't realize my parents were giving me this doll (laughs) that when you fed it water, that it would pee so you can change its diaper. And I'm looking at my cousins like, but how come I didn't get a G.I. Joe? (laughs) Like, I want a G.I. Joe. Like, I don't want a doll that keeps making my clothes wet. (laughs) You know? Um, And and, and then, like, I will watch, like, my cousins growing up and how their dads were, like, you know, like, again, y'all, like, I'm from different areas, so excuse my language, like, pluck them over the head. I I don't know what what y'all call out here, but, like, pluck them over the head. And like, you know, for showing these emotions, for being upset. And I'm like, I'm crying. Ain't nobody plucking me with my head. Right. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting a hug. I'm getting it's okay, or, you know, I'm getting this, this, this um, comforting response versus an aggressive response. So right then and there, at seven, eight years old, I'm witnessing my male cousins being told they're not allowed to have the same emotional experience that I'm having. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. You know, and, and for those who grew up in that household with the, I'm going to give you something to cry about, <laughs> right. you know, comments, you know, imagine what that's teaching our young children, you know, um, whether male or female or whatnot, but from very early on telling our young, young men and our little boys as they get older, that whatever emotional experience they're having is not okay. And again, mm -hmm. we just talked about public stigma being self-stigma, how that becomes internalized. So then when our young boys grow up into these older men or young men having these emotional experiences, they're going to suppress it. And then, mm -hmm. then we, we want to start touching into the angry black man kind of thing, because that mm -hmm. seems to be the one that's okay for our men to be able to express. Okay, to be powerful, to be aggressive, you know, right. and that expressing these emotions honestly, is considered a weakness. Honestly, it's, it's better to be assertive than to be aggressive. You can be assertive right. being aggressive. Right. You know, and it's there's a difference. It's all about moderation. Because, you right. know, these traits aren't necessarily negative ones. It just has right. to be a balance, a moderation of what we, we teach our, our children. But when it becomes overly pronounced, you know, that's when the masculinity becomes toxic. Exactly. And that's, and we want to be really clear, like there is no negative emotions. It's the balance of being able to express your emotions in a healthy way. And mm -hmm. as you just said, Tosh, you know, that balance being assertive. We're not saying if you're sad, don't act like you're sad or like, you know, fall out kind of sad, but rather just validate your own emotional experience again. Mm -hmm. So even though the stigmas, um, you know, surrounding mental illness and depression affects people of all genders. You know, research does show that men tend to have an even harder time admitting that they need help, which you were talking about, Tosh. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so, you know, like men feel a need to be strong and not admit weakness, you know, because of the macho approach or the manly approach. You know, many men will ask for help because they don't, they don't, they, they don't know what to, to, they don't want to risk appearing weak. So that's why they won't ask. You know, even though all the stigma around mental illness discourages people from seeking help because they don't they don't want to admit having a problem, like you were saying, Taj, mm -hmm. um, and that it's frowned upon in society or maybe in certain cultures, you know, um, traits of toxic masculinity uh, does end up encouraging men to suffer in silence rather than to risk appearing weak by asking for help. That is yeah. powerful. That that suffering in silence can lead to just such dangerous and destructive paths yeah. that aren't, don't even need to be um, to be to, to be written down. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like you literally taking years off your life doing that. Yeah. Once they like once they get in my seat, and they they tell me because normally it's, it's something that's going on in their life, right? Mm -hmm. like, be a lot and it's heavy it's heavy for you to carry by yourself what you believe you're supposed to be doing um and you really don't have to um and you shouldn't mm -hmm. have to mm -mm. and then it's just like well no wonder you're depressed you know like you really think you're gonna go through all these things and be okay like you're not supposed to have any type of emotional response with everything that you're you're carrying like that's a lot. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot for one person to carry in to expect our men to carry that and be okay with our women's being able to express it. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's, that's not right. You know, masculinity, you know, I will say it can be a double-edged sword though, you yeah. know, 
So even though the traits can be discouraging um, some men to ask for help, they can also lead to increased rates of depression, like you were just saying. And um, and this often happens, what ends up um, often happening is that the men refuse to ask for the help and then their symptoms continue to worsen that dark path. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when they're, they're more likely to, some, not all, can end up treating that treating, okay, again, y'all can't see it, but I'm putting them, them air quotes up, <laughs> treat that con- their condition with the drug and the alcohol misuse. Yeah, and that's just the the ones that you could see. Right. Um, other ways is, you know, it might be more p- promiscuous than usual. Mm-hmm, it was another way, you know, mm-hmm. um, or just- there's, there's gonna be some sort of overindulging. Yes. I think that's a really great way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that's just one way for to be seen on the outside. You know, it, mm-hmm. you know, some men can find themselves being more passive, too afraid, you know, to be seen as the angry black man or to be over um, indulgent in certain things. Again, mm-hmm. trying to follow along with whatever stigma they're being taught. Um, you know, and, and of course, ladies, you know, you know, women, you know, we don't, we, you know, women are, are, taught and and our emotional and nurturers and child bearers okay this is things that some of the things that we're taught to be but again we're much more yeah. than that but we, we're, we're allowed to be emotional but not too emotional now right right yeah. you know and if we do become emotional it's dismissed like it's expected like, oh well they're a woman so that's yeah it's okay it's okay that they're emotional again that's that's the part of that that double standard like oh it's okay for women to be emotional and then we can kind of get our emotions dismissed at that and then mm-hmm. looking at men like see this is what you don't be don't be emotional and you don't want to be like a woman just some of the things that we say <laughs> about when we're you know you know like oh if we're so, i got so many examples i just kind of like went through my head how we talked to our men like oh so you're just gonna be a bitch about it you know little yeah. things like that yeah. What does that say about our man? What does that say about our woman? <laughs> yeah. You know, but for us women, there's, there's a lot of things that we we also, a lot of stigmas and um, things that we also go through, you know, like the coerced um, rape is not commonly known as violent rape. So the idea that I'm supposed to be in a relationship, you know, some things yeah. that, we, that we that we are, we may tell ourselves you know, that's supposed to, um, and then how our culture can define our roles. And again, I'm not knocking the the cultures define the roles because, you know, it, it can work for many, but for those that it just kind of seems to just rub against mm-hmm. you know, which generation you're in. Again, if you're first generation, second generation, it can be, it can pre- present its own challenges, you know? But in those culturally defined roles, for example, um, um, you know, it can come to societal or cultural roles, of course. And then um, there are rules about what our roles can look like based, um, that can create a lot of shame and guilt for us. Mm-hmm. So women may be less likely than men to seek treatment after experiencing symptoms of mental illness. Um, but this is due to, to that, again, internalizing our self stigmas Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's supposed to be normalized in your culture and you got your grandmother or your mother, you know, again, especially if you're second, first generation kind of thing and they're telling you what they worked for them and again, self-internalized. And so, you know, the stigma of seeking treatment for mental illness can be greater among women of color. Right. You know, um, 
you know, and, and I and I think of a, a few things about even when a woman of color may even, you know, seek treatment about how, again, we talked about this earlier of like, you know, I'm here because I'm just stressed. We tied. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I'm tied. <laughs> you, know, you know, I just, you know, or I wish I could, you know, it's like I might be depressed, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not depressed, depressed because, you know, I don't have time to just lay around. Yeah. We don't got time for that. And I'm that's why it me more um, with, the, with Black women more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because we wear so many hats and we juggle so much. And we, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of roles that we have. Um, so you will hear a lot. Like, I, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be depressed right now. We're dismissing our own emotional needs, our own mental health. You know, um, you know, and when we say those things, we, we and, and I'm not knocking the resilience, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, we're pushing for it because, you know, some of our our societies, our communities. OK, and when I'm saying our communities, I mean, our immediate community, our block, our neighborhood, you know, sometimes the, where we're at doesn't allow for us to really take that break. You know, I, and I've heard the, you know. I don't have the same luxury as white people to just be able to lay in my bed all day. You know, I have to do these <laughs> things, yeah. you know, it's just like, I hear you, you know, it, it is, it is almost saying like, I don't have the luxury of that type of depression, or that right. kind of depression. Being, being depressed and still functional is a real thing. It's a very real thing. Functional depression is a very real thing. And to show up and know that you don't want to function in depression, you want more quality to your life or just quality of life, you know, and learning how to still take care of you, you know, while balancing or trying to find that balance of taking care of those responsibilities that can't quite afford to slip through the cracks. Like, of course, your child has to feed. And of course, you got to get your, you know, kids clothes and and you have to show up to work to keep the roof Mm -hmm. over your head, things like that. Um, And you're trying to be this independent adult, you know, um, and just trying to find that balance and not shaming yourself, you know, um, and and not try to dismiss it as like, you know, I don't have white people problems when we talk about these things. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, life be life in, so. Right, right. You know, um, Sometimes too, with with these stereotypes and these stigmas, um, women we have to, it's like we ha- we we have all that internalization, and we don't want to come off as like the angry black woman or a woman who's too emotional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, especially you know, and we end up pacifying ourselves in the process. You know, if we're at work or we're, we're experiencing work stress, and because we don't want to be perceived as the angry black woman, we don't say anything. We take it. We take more and more, and that that can lead to not just the stress, but some of the depression. Mm-hmm. You know, and how we may talk about ourselves, about our worth, and about our self esteem, while we get to watch others be able to like, see, I wanted to say that, but I can't because I'm mm-hmm. I don't want to be perceived as as angry. And if we try to gently say something, we get the, you know, the term these days, you know, is the mansplaining kind of thing. Like, (laughs) you know, not, you know, hearing um, another colleague who's a male or a white male, especially saying the same thing that, you know, um, a black woman just said and have to learn how to cope with that, you know, or manage that on a day to day, which is a a very common phenomenon that takes place in certain workspaces, especially in, in corporate. You know, it takes place there and learning mm-hmm. how to navigate those spaces and not letting it defeat you. 
you know? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really, it's a really tough battle. Okay. And there's other types of stigmas that I think that pop up for people of color that, you know, we don't always, we kind of say it in passing almost in jest, you know, like the familiar shame, like what happens in the family Mm -hmm. stays in the family, you know, know, those types of stigmas too. I see that a lot. I see that mm -hmm. a lot. Especially when I, um, with my teen teen patients or adolescents Mm -hmm. um, and their parents come in, you know, and you can tell the parents just like, why did you tell them that? You know, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no judgment, <laughs> you know, over here. You know, and they just they they they're they're still actively teaching their children to not talk about their problems or family issues while they're literally in therapy. So like Yeah. I think that still speaks to the again another stigma towards, you know, mental professionals or mm-hmm. the fear and trust for people of color and those who are non persons of color. Mm-hmm. You know, and how that's just automatically says, even I grew up in that household, you know, right. we don't say that outside this house. We only say that here. We only talk about that here. You know, I can recall years ago saying like, hey, you know what? I think it would have been nice if I was in therapy back then. No, no, no. We keep this in the family or we go to church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, therapy. You know, this, we don't need no therapy. I was like, mm. I think I think it would have been all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of them but, still rather talk to to their church members or friends mm-hmm. or church leadership. Right, People right. Coming to and there's nothing wrong with seeking spiritual leadership and support. It's just knowing that it's not your only means of support. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, um, you, you know, and of course we encourage the faith and whatever practice that you have is just knowing that whatever you're going through, it's not something you have to go through alone. And you do have, mm-hmm. you know, those who specialize in what you're going through. You know, that's not a white people part, a white person's problem. It's a human experience. And some of the human experiences is really rough. And there are people out here that get that. You know, mental illness does not racially discriminate. It doesn't say, oh, you black. Mm-hmm. Never mind. <laughs> it doesn't do that. You know, um, so it's just knowing that that cultural, some of the cultural beliefs that we adopt and don't even realize can contribute to that internalized suffering. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't have to go through and it can get passed down through the generation. So um, it, it's also, you know, speaking on the, the clinical side, you know, many still believe that when you're seeking a therapist or being referred to a therapist, that um, the more than likely won't look like you which means they won't be able to understand you kind of thing. And, you know, Tasha, you were saying earlier, like, even though we get, you know, far and few of black men coming in, that also kind of speaks to the type of clinicians, seeing more clinicians or professional um, mental health providers that look like us can also make it much more comfortable for others to see that. Then we know there's a cultural understanding that's taken place. Mm-hmm. I, I, for sure, when... But <laughs> sometimes when they first meet me, um, I can see that they're surprised because mm-hmm. we still have this, you know, and movies don't help, shows don't help, you know, uh-uh. they still expect to see like this older white person. And so when I walk in, and of course I look younger than what I am, and then I have this big hair, you know, curls everywhere, and they're just like, oh, and mm-hmm. they catch me on casual Friday, I might have some J's on my feet, and they're like, oh. 
<laughs> yes, I look like you. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I've had clients fly out. Tell them like, oh, you're right. black. And I'm like, wow. All right, you just said it. <laughs> They're They're so relieved. And it's like, oh. a huge difference. It does. And, and, the, and the, the experience is different because there is, there is, there is cultural challenges that do take place that, you know, you feel like only the person who has walked your, your cultural path that can only understand that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there are certain things that, you know, others will not understand. There are certain, there are a lot of things that white people just will not be able to understand that people of color go through, you know, and I'm not knocking it. It's just a matter of fact. You know, I I am, I am African-American black woman. There are certain things I just do not quite understand what a black man has to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I haven't understand as far as being black, but to be a male. And there are things that a black man will be able to understand that what my female experience is going to be like. So it's not a negative thing. It's just a matter of fact. And so it's important to have some of those commonalities to, again, already having this apprehension of walking into the clinical space and then okay, someone that's really going to hear it, allowed to really talk about it more to get that validation and that normalization and more of that support. So these stigmas, guys, you know, is, is, is really hurtful, you know, and, and I want you guys to really like pay attention where you guys are seeing that and how your, that inner dialogue looks and, and what we pick up on and what, what, just know you're not alone and that there are, there's something that can be done about it, you know? Yeah. And the stigmas again, were created through white supremacy. Uh-huh. Um, these are not our own thoughts of self, if you really think about it. These uh. are like implanted within our our culture, within our communities, to view ourselves these way, this way, um, and it's it's not true. Um, so that is really far from the truth. And I really want our people to just to grow away from that. Yes, mindset, those stigmas that were created for us. So that way we can continue to be to them the inferior race. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well said. Very well said. Mm-hmm. And we honestly attached to what you said that we can end on that. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> I, Thank you guys it. for listening. Um Please continue to listen in as we will continue to talk about these things and other topics that are to come up. Yes. Um, So we will talk again next episode. Be informed. Be supported. Be empowered.